The holidays are coming. You might be getting some new gadgets. Whatever your thing may be, you might want to protect those things using renter's insurance, and specifically State Farm renter's insurance, because it helps protect the stuff landlords don't. Like maybe your new laptop or some new furniture. Your stuff's worth it. And for pennies a day, you can make sure it's protected with State Farm renter's insurance. Find an agent or get a quote at statefarm.com. Back in April of 2018, a bomb went off in the genealogy world. Police said they'd found a serial killer and rapist whose identity had been unknown for four decades. And they found him thanks to a free website started by a couple of amateur genealogists. I'm talking about the case of the Golden State Killer, and the website is called GEDmatch. But GEDmatch wasn't built with police investigations in mind. It was built for people to learn more about their ancestry using their DNA. Now, that same website has been sold, and the company that bought it works with law enforcement to sequence DNA from crime scenes. So, should genealogy enthusiasts help the police identify suspects? And can we protect the genetic privacy of people both on and off the platform? I'm Ariel Zimros. This is Reset. Megan Malteni, you're a staff writer at Wired Magazine, and you've written about GEDmatch. So who founded GEDmatch? Yeah, so GEDmatch was created by Curtis Rogers and John Olson. Um, it's kind of a just basically a hobby project. So um, Curtis uh, is the genealogy buff, and he got put in touch with John, who um, has more of the coding chops. And together they basically um, they built this place they launched in 2010 where people could come and use all this genetic information that was becoming available to learn more about their families. Rogers, who has always been intrigued by genealogy, created the website GEDmatch. Each line here is a different chromosome. Until very recently, it's basically just been the two of them keeping GEDmatch up and running. GEDmatch is still very much kind of a little site. There are no employees. We're not a big company. We're not... Unlike other big genealogy sites you might have heard of, like 23andMe and Ancestry DNA, GEDmatch doesn't have its own lab. Like, you can't buy a spit kit, you can't send it into them. What it is is a database where people who've had their DNA tested elsewhere can upload their results. What do people use GEDmatch for specifically, right? You're uploading your information from 23andMe. Why are you putting your, your results on there? Yeah, so people use GEDmatch to locate biological relatives and specifically ones that are on more distant branches of your family tree. The, the, the two guys who founded it developed these algorithms that help you search your genetic profile and look for big chunks of DNA that you share with other people in this database. So a bigger chunk that you share with someone means a closer relationship, like a parent or a sibling, and then the smaller the chunks, the more distantly related you are. And it was actually really used a lot by people who were adoptees um, who were trying to locate biological relatives. And did it work? Did people actually find family members if they were adoptees? 
Yeah, I mean, so the success of GenMatch kind of depends on who's already in the database. So if you had genetic relatives who were also curious about their genealogy and had uploaded their profiles, then you had a high likelihood of being able to find them. The people who tend to be interested in genealogy tend to be older. Um, there's a lot of interest in genealogy from the Mormon community, and most people tend to be of European ancestry. So GenMatch was more useful to people who identified as Caucasian um, in being able to find those biological relatives. But if you kind of did fall in that demographic, it, it actually proved to be really useful. How many people are on GenMatch right now? Um, it's about 1.3 million people. Okay. So... The website is founded in 2010, and then something happened, right? Law enforcement started using it. When did law enforcement start using the database? Yeah, so as far as what we know, in 2017, a detective named Paul Holes, who'd been working on um, this unsolved case of the Golden State Killer. He's the most prolific serial killer rapist in the history of California, for sure. The killer accused of murdering at least 12 people, sexually assaulting more than 50. The Golden State Killer vanished in the 80s. And so Holes convinced a genealogist uh, named Barbara Ray Venter to take on this cold case. So through GEDmatch, Barbara Ray Venter was able to find a few distantly related relatives of the man who had left semen at one of these um, Golden State Killer crime scenes. Authorities compared DNA from the crime scene with genetic profiles available through the genealogy website GEDmatch. The goal, find distant relatives of the killer. And then using these more traditional um, genealogy methods was able to kind of work her way backward in time to find their common ancestors. And then basically she worked her way forward in time, ruling out various family branches until she arrived at a man whose age and location fit with the profile of the suspect. Police say this man, 72-year-old Joseph James D'Angelo, is the elusive Golden State Killer. Law enforcement staked out his home. They obtained his DNA from a piece of trash that he had discarded. And then they ran that against multiple crime scene samples and uh, discovered that it was a match. And so he was arrested last April, and he's currently awaiting trial. That's crazy. Yeah, it's never been done before. <laughs> it was pretty wild. How did the GEDmatch community react, knowing that this database was used in this way? So initially, like Curtis Rogers, one of the owners, was was really upset because he was afraid. Wait, he wasn't expecting this? No, he had no idea it was being used this way. There was an email from one of our users that said Jed Match was involved in finding the Golden State Killer. That was the first I knew of it. My world turned upside down at that point. You were upset? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. About what? About whether we were invading our user, users' privacy in some way that they had no expectation of it being invaded. So he's as surprised as anyone else, and he's, like, pretty upset. But as the days go by and there's, like, more news reports, like, he doesn't see the backlash that he'd really expected. Okay. And as he's kind of thought about this over the last year, I think the the thought was that the Golden State Killer was, like, such a monster that the fact that that had been the case that really proved this concept was really important because GEDmatch had helped put this monster away. And so there was actually this, like, real sense of pride. Mm. So as he's kind of, like, gauging the response and he's seen people actually being pretty, like, pumped about this, he changes GEDmatch's policy to explicitly say that it allows law enforcement to upload these genetic profiles from crime scenes and search the database. 
And the kind of only limitation he puts on it is he says that they can do that, but only for cases of rape and homicide. Oh, that seems that seems really specific. Yeah, I think the feedback he was getting was that people were like, I didn't know my data was being used this way, but, you know, as long as it's, like, only used for these, like, really violent crimes, like, I'm pretty okay with it. And what winds up happening is, like, over the next few months, so we're kind of talking summer into fall of 2018, there are all these reports coming out that police are using GEDmatch again and again to crack, like, one cold case after another. Oh, wow. And so it starts, like, really taking on some momentum of its own. And as that happens, there's this, like, rift that starts to open up in the community. And it gets, it gets like, pretty nasty on some of these genealogy Facebook groups and, like, at conferences. And people really pick sides. And What, like, people are fighting each other all of a sudden over this? Yeah, yeah. So this, like, previously, like, pretty tight-knit community that, you know, had been kind of united in helping people learn more about their families is now, like, very divided over whether or not this kind of community that they've built up, this resource, should be used in a criminal, you know, kind of crime-fighting capacity. And the people who are, you know, against it are worried about privacy violations. You know, GEDmatch could be, you know, used uh, to create basically like a genetic surveillance state. And then on the other side, people are saying, well, you know, it's my DNA. I can do with it what I want. So, like, if it, if it, if I can help, you know, get these people off the street and provide victims, you know, sense of closure, like, I'm all for that. While the GEDmatch community argued over this, one of the founders of GEDmatch, Curtis Rogers, made a big decision. In May of 2019, he decided to let law enforcement access the database to investigate a case of violent assault in Utah. In Centerville, a 17-year-old was arrested for strangling a church organist. Police used a DNA search on a public website to track down the suspect. When news got out, people were furious. They thought the database would only be available for cases of rape and murder. Rogers had violated his own rules. And so, to fix that, Rogers made another big decision. He changed GEDmatch's policy once more so that people would have to opt in and consent to having their DNA files shared with law enforcement. Overnight, all of the information provided by GEDmatch's users became unavailable to law enforcement. All of it. And yeah, people did eventually start opting in, but... There were reports coming out that police agencies saw a huge drop-off in their ability to get matches um, after that policy change. So basically starting in May, there's been kind of a real um, dip in the number of cases that have come out where they've identified a suspect from GEDmatch. The penultimate kind of twist in this GEDmatch journey is that one investigator in Florida was so frustrated by this change of policy that he actually um, petitioned to get a search warrant for all of GEDmatch, so not just the opted-in profiles. Did that actually work? That seems like going against people's wishes in, in a very explicit kind of way. Yeah, the judge issued the warrant. And that was a story that uh, Heather Murphy at The New York Times broke. And kind of that was another five-alarm, you know, privacy fire for GEDmatch because, it you know, it basically meant that these users' choices, like, didn't matter. Like, they could opt in or opt out. But if that choice could just be bypassed by a warrant, then what did it really mean? What was your reaction to that news that that all it takes is is a warrant in order to gain access to all these profiles, even though people explicitly are saying that they do not want that to happen? Yeah, I think I was I was pretty gobsmacked, <laughs> not, not unlike some of the 
privacy lawyers who were were looking at that. Police have been pretty reticent to uh, bring warrants to private commercial databases like 23andMe and Ancestries because those companies have made it a priority to fight those kinds of requests for for their customers' genetic information, and they've been successful. Right. 23andMe and Ancestry have kind of anticipated that this would be a use and so have been proactive in trying to stop that from happening. That's right. And the result has been that law enforcement agencies, for the most part, have been discouraged um, from seeking warrants because they're, you know, they haven't been successful. And so the kind of concern coming out of this GEDmatch warrant was that it could set a precedent that would extend beyond GEDmatch, um, potentially to these um, private databases, and basically open them up to to police search. I have to say, it's... Um... It's interesting to think about what this means for law enforcement, because here you have these companies, 23andMe and Ancestry, who have been fighting this for a while and, and successfully in, in most cases, um, fighting these warrants by, by police. And now they've gotten a taste of it through GEDmatch. And they know that in some cases it's actually pretty effective. Yeah. I could see from law enforcement's standpoint, like, are you serious? You're not going to let me use this thing? Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you've attended any kind of forensic conferences in the last year and a half, um, you know, this is all anyone wants to talk about. And, you know, there are <clears throat> genealogists who are working with the FBI to train uh, police units kind of all over the country. Florida has its own genetic genealogy unit. Um, and I and I think there there's going to be a real move in the future to kind of take this tool that was developed in the genealogy community and make it a, you know, explicitly a kind of crime fighting tool that's really owned by the law enforcement community. Um, it's hard to see the genie going back in the bottle at this point. So it kind of sounds like GEDmatch being sold to Verigen was inevitable. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, on on the one hand, just like practically, I think, you know, so Curtis Rogers is 81 years old and his, his partner, John, is in his late 60s. And so there was kind of always a question um, about the future of GEDmatch, like even without all this law enforcement stuff. Uh, I've spoken to Curtis in, since the Virgin News broke and you know, his ability to legally fend off all this mounting pressure to use GEDmatch was really, like, limited to his personal finances, basically. Mm. And so, you know, I think um, he's he's fielded a lot of offers in the last year and a half to sell GEDmatch. Um, he'd just been waiting for the right deal to come along that, that he felt would um, be best for the genealogy community. So... Where does the acquisition by Verigen sort of leave the GEDmatch community? You know, one so one genealogist I spoke to said she believes that this will be the last straw for people who don't want their DNA involved in criminal investigations. And I think the question now is where do those people go? <laughs> because there, there really isn't a place for them anymore. Um, you know, I, I asked... Curtis Rogers, if there was an opportunity for someone else to make a website like what GEDmatch like once was, like just dedicated to genealogy. And and he said no. He basically, you know, said this has been an absolute revolution in forensics. There's no way to stop it. And 
what the only thing that's necessary at this point is to kind of manage it in a way in which users' privacy is protected and it's not scary for people. So from his vantage point, you know, like it's kind of the end of an era. Megan Malteni is a staff writer at Wired. Megan, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. After the break, what the Verigen deal means for GEDmatch users and the rest of us. This is Reset. I finally did it. This weekend, I ordered holiday cards. I ordered a very small number, but I did it. And I feel pretty good right now. And if you want to feel as good as I do, you can go to a website that allows you to make holiday cards like Vistaprint. It doesn't take that much time at all. You can just go to Vistaprint's website and pick one of their designs and use one of your favorite pictures and put it on top. And then all you need to do is figure out how many you need. And Vistaprint has hundreds of card designs and custom calendars for gifts that keep giving all year round. Your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed, or they will make it right, either by reprinting your order or offering a refund. So this season, make the people around you happy, make yourself happy by going to vistaprint.com. With up to 50% off all holiday cards and photo calendars, plus great deals on photo gifts at vistaprint.com. Just enter the promo code RESET50. That's vistaprint.com, promo code RESET50. The offer expires on January 5th. Peter Aldis is a science reporter for BuzzFeed News, and he's been immersed in the world of DNA testing for a decade. He got his DNA scanned for the first time in 2009. So I asked him about the backlash against using DNA databases for criminal investigations. The first thing I'd say, there's a backlash from some quarters. Mm -hmm. Many genealogists have been really supportive of this. I mean, you know, we do want serial killers off the streets, right? Others have concerns about privacy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say relations between those two groups have got extremely tense. How tense are we talking? There are many people who were, who are sort of quite prominent in the field of genealogy who are literally not talking to each other anymore. Oh, wow. I mean, it, it has got, it has got uh, quite um, heated. So on the side of privacy advocates, what are they worried about? What is the risk here? Yeah, so I think this is something that gets a, a little bit lost. And I think the debate is often, it's, it's kind of a little bit more philosophical than people have really thought through in all cases what the what the risks are let me let me think about some risks that i think might be something we we might need to think about sure so if you have got a desperate violent criminal who realizes that now it's possible to find them if some of their close relatives were to do a dna test and put this uh, put the data into a database like GEDmatch, mm -hmm. what are they going to do about that? Could we see a situation in which innocent people end up being put at risk because somebody in their family is desperate enough to try and take action against them to stop them, stop them doing a DNA test? I got to say, Peter, that's a really, really dark dark place to start when it comes to the risks of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of cut straight to this, the <laughs> thing I would be most worried about, right? 
I think also, like, your views on this may depend a little bit on the community from which you come. Mm -hmm. I think some of the people I've talked to, the genealogists I've talked to um, who are most concerned, uh, at least one of them is African-American woman. Uh, and I think in that community, I think views of law enforcement and views of how genetics is used are maybe a little bit different. Right. <laughs> um, and there are just inherently more concerns there, given uh, given history. It's a question of whether you trust law enforcement to use this evidence in the right way to understand how to use this evidence and, and also to to identify the right person. Yeah. And the other thing to bear in mind, I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding of what's going on here in that the genealogy would be used for the identification and that's what people are convicted on. And that's not the case, right? What do you mean by that? Well, the Golden State Killer in the end was not arrested on the basis of just that the family trees converged on him, which they did. At that point, a conventional DNA test was done, right, to, you know, verify with reasonable certainty that he, Joseph James D'Angelo, who is the person who was arrested, was the same guy who left um, the DNA at the scene of a double murder in 1980, which was where the crime scene DNA came from. I think sometimes there's there's a feeling that, well, they might get the family trees wrong and then the wrong person is convicted. I don't think that's going to happen mm -hmm. because because it, it's a, it's an investigative tool. It's not an evidentiary tool, right? It, it won't be used in evidence to convict. In that way, it's a bit more like a tip that comes through on a tip line to the cops. Right. That leads them to the person and then they need to assemble other evidence to convict, right? I'm curious about this, given what you've just outlined and, and explained sort of the, the nuance and how this is actually used, meaning that this isn't the evidence itself. It is a tip that indicates a certain person and then lets you investigate that person. Yeah. I think what, what I'm wondering is how would you react if I told you that I have had conversations with my family telling them, do not get tested? And the reason for that is because my DNA is linked to theirs. For folks who have never had their DNA tested, like me, um, but whose relatives have, what reach does a database like GEDmatch or 23andMe have when it comes to people who haven't submitted DNA themselves? Yeah, well, I mean, I can answer that sort of directly from my own experience because after the soon after the Golden State Killer case and when we realized that this was becoming common, my editor, uh, Ginny Hughes, and I decided to do our own little experiment with this. Ginny got uh, 10 of my colleagues, I didn't know who they were, to get tested at Family Tree DNA. Okay. Uh, I was sent the data and I uploaded it to Jebmatch and tried to identify them. And I, in the end, identified six out of 10. Wow. I did four out of 10 through the same methods. Now, in my case, it was a little bit easier because I knew they worked for BuzzFeed. There's only about 1,200 people who work for BuzzFeed. So that narrowed it down quite a lot. And in a couple of cases, and this I thought was really interesting and, and certainly raises questions about racial genetic profiling, in two cases, I identified them because their ancestry mm -hmm. was sufficiently unusual that it could only be one of one or two people working for BuzzFeed. Oh, wow. And in one case, it could only be one person. We, I have a colleague who um, 
works on our social news side in Canada, who is emigrated from Sudan. Mm. Now, there's only one person with Sudanese DNA who works for BuzzFeed. As soon as I saw the the, the kind of regionalization of that DNA, it's like, oh, well, that has to be Alamine, Al- right? It, it can't be anybody else. <laughs> Right. I mean, that that also says something about media in general, but we can talk about that some other time. It does indeed. Absolutely, it does. But now, don't think that cops wouldn't do that, right? Um, One of the things about the Golden State Killer case is by the end, they were saying, "Ah, well, we're pretty sure this guy is Italian which he was. They were actually doing some trait analysis as well, and they're saying, yeah, Italian, but I'm pretty sure he's got blue eyes, which he had. Hmm. So that's not too different from what I did to identify my Sudanese colleague, right? I mean, it's looking into your your genes and making predictions about who you are. Now, I, I think now we're kind of getting a bit closer to the types of things that get people thinking, ooh, I'm not sure about that. And I think this is why genetic privacy is a very sensitive issue, because in some ways it is a little bit different from other information about ourselves that we may choose to disclose. Not, I mean, fundamentally, but there is no way of getting around the fact that somebody who is genetically closely related to you shares a large portion of your DNA. And if you choose to put your information in a database, you know, your children's information is uh, sort of in a probabilistic way is in there as well. Right. So you're kind of making a decision, as you point out, not just for you, but for somebody else. So I think that's why genetic privacy just gets it, it becomes quite heated, because the thing is, like this information can't be stripped from your identity. It is it is part of your identity, right? I mean, I'm adopted. So the name that you know me by, Peter Aldous, is not the name I was born with. We can change our names. We can change our citizenship. I've done that as well. We can change all sorts of things about ourselves. We can get a new credit card if it's compromised. We can, But our DNA is with us until we die. Getting back to GEDmatch, it's now been purchased by a private company, so it's it's no longer run by these two sort of amateur genealogists. What does this mean for, for the community? Do you think that that GEDmatch is now in better hands? I I don't know. You know, if we are talking about a, a database that's gonna have to wrestle with how it's gonna deal with warrants coming in from law enforcement then probably that needs some like professional heft behind it. Now, I think Mm -hmm. there are going to be many people who are concerned that it's a forensic genetics company. They will see it as, oh, so now it's going over totally to law enforcement. Right. But I'm also hearing people say, well, let's wait and see. Let's look at how they run this. And I can tell you, I I mean, I spoke on Monday with the CEO of this company called Veragem, and he seemed very aware that he had to abide by the wishes of the users. Otherwise, people would walk with their feet and and it would essentially become a useless resource. Like it's only as useful 
as the number of profiles that are in it and searchable. And he said explicitly, you know, we're not going to force people to opt in to searches by police so, mm-hmm. and that they uh, have a high, you know, regard for privacy and so on. Well, we'll see. I, you know, I'm all for giving people a chance to um, prove whether they're good stewards or not. Peter Aldis is a science reporter for BuzzFeed News. Peter, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks for uh, having me on. We asked Farrigan about their plans for Jedmatch. Kim Moore, a representative of the company, told us in an email that Verigen doesn't plan on changing Jedmatch's privacy policy. This is Reset. I'm Ariel Zermross. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. We'll be back on Thursday. Later, nerds. Later, nerds.